Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Well, one of the great things about being messianic is we can look to Yeshua as the pattern for us. And Yeshua's habit was to be in synagogue on Saturday and to participate in the reading of the Torah. Of course, for him, it was his native language. And this may be shocking to some of you, he didn't speak English. And there were no English Bibles, but everything was in Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic as well. So it was his habit to join in the synagogue service and to participate in a full measure. And that's why on, on that day when he read from the scroll that said that uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news. He was reading from the Haftorah portion from the prophet Isaiah from one of the scrolls that was used during the service. It was his custom to participate in a full measure. So when we say we want to be messianic, I want to encourage you to learn to do what Yeshua did. Not only did he do that, but the apostles continued in that. The scripture teaches us that it was Paul's habit and his, his way of living to continue to be in synagogue on Saturday. So it's important to remember this because as, as we move forward in history, and as the word of God goes forward and many come to be believers, it's not always the habit of everyone to be in synagogue on Shabbat. But we have, we have the freedom, we have the privilege, we have the joy of being able to follow in this pattern. So it's, it's something that can encourage us that we live in a land that's free and that we can exercise our freedom in this way. Well, I want to ask you to turn with me to the Torah portion to look at just three verses that, that start off the Torah portion in Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting in verse 26. And because perhaps of uh, the eye surgery that I had and the recovery that uh, I was experiencing, I was focusing on this idea, eyes that see and ears that hear because I found myself in bed for long periods of time. And normally I like to read, and I couldn't really read. And so I'll watch some videos sometimes, but I couldn't really do that either. So I had to just listen. And I was either listening, sleeping, or eating. These were the three things that occupied me. And when I read the Torah portion this week, with my eyes a little bit stronger. The first word of the Torah portion really caught my attention because the word is see. And I thought, well, that's for me. <laughs> but actually, it's for all of us. And some of the English translations don't say see, they say behold. But, you know, that's a word we don't use every day. And unless you're a religious folk, you may not use it at all. Can you imagine going into your boss's office and say, oh boss, behold, my report. <laughs> See, look, 
I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Verse 27, the blessing. Now here's where the language changes, and it says the blessing if you listen. And you would think it would be some form of if you see, but it's not. So it switches senses from seeing to hearing. If you listen to the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and the curse if you don't listen to the commands of the Lord your God. So these two ideas, seeing and listening, are actually connected. This is not talking about our physical visual senses. It's talking about the parallel spiritual senses of seeing and listening. And when it uses the word see, you know, in, in some translations it says behold, but this, this word in Hebrew means also to consider, or to give attention to, or to take into consideration, to take heed. But ultimately what it means is perceive this. Perceive, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, as we read the rest of the Torah portion, there's verse after verse, chapter after chapter of specific details, rules, regulations, do this, don't do that. And I don't want to focus on any of that because I want to, to concentrate on this foundational idea that's embedded in these first three verses that we're looking at. The idea is this, that everyone has the capacity to spiritually see and to spiritually listen, to take notice of what God has to say and then to put it into practice in our lives. Well, I didn't think of that. It's about taking my eye drops. I'll do that later. <laughs> yeah, it, has, it goes off at a certain time every day, so because I'm supposed to do it. But I did it early today, but I didn't turn off my alarm. So all you podcasters hearing this, It's on me. Usually, you're the guys who's, you know, your phone goes off and you're scrambling, but it was me. Okay. And I have alarms that override my silence. Listen. That's what my phone is saying. Listen. That's what the Lord is saying here. Maybe we can use this. It's, it's like the Lord is saying, pay attention don't forget, take notice of this, and then act on it. Don't just think about it. Don't, don't just nod your head, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're not, you're not just a bobblehead. You're, you're called to, to take to heart and to put into practice things. And the word hear or listen in this passage is built on the same root that the word shma is built on. And it means the same thing, listen, hear. But again, it's talking about parallel ideas, see and listen, with the idea of perceive this, understand it, take it to heart, and then put it into practice. Live in light of this. 
And the idea is so important. It's so important that we can gloss over it by mistake. We have capabilities. We have faculties, spiritual faculties. We have to learn and develop our ability to use those. It's possible to use your physical capabilities of seeing and hearing. It's possible to use them carefully, but to completely ignore your spiritual capabilities that are in parallel. It's also possible to have spiritual capabilities that are functioning, but they're not tuned to the Lord. It's like a person has a, a, a spiritual ear, but instead of hearing what the Lord has to say, hears other spiritual messages. What Moses is saying here to us is so profound and so foundational, it's important not to gloss over it or to go too fast through it. We are called as human beings to see what God is doing, to hear his word, and then to align our lives with him. To respond to the Lord as if he has real authority in our lives and has the ability to command us. You know what command means? It means to tell us what to do. Now, someone who doesn't want God to tell them what to do really is not in a position where they can say, Lord. Because Lord in English means boss. Boss means the one in charge. We're called to use our faculties, but not just to use them, to develop them. Now, for some reason, while I was recovering after my surgery and I was in bed for much longer periods of time than I can tolerate, I was like, there were moments I was bored out of my skull. I thought, I'm going to... I'm going to try to make this productive. And so I tried to watch a video, and I couldn't. So I listened to a video. And every so often, I'd open the one eye that wasn't shielded and try to look at this video. And then I got tired, and I closed the eye, but I kept listening. And I listened to a video by a guy named James Tour, T-O-U-R. He's a PhD. Now, he's a Jewish believer, and he also happens to be one of the top 10 chemists in the world, and he's considered one of the most influential, one of the 50 most influential scientists in the world. He works in the areas, uh, he's professor, listen, he's professor of chemistry, professor of computer science, professor of material science, and professor of nanoengineering. And currently he's at Rice University where he heads up the Smalley Institute for Nanoscale Science and Technology. He is really smart. And so I listened to him, and I have to admit that there were a lot of things he said that I didn't understand. Because he was talking, first of all, about nanoscience, nanotechnology, and nanocars. That's what he's calling them now. These are 
nano vehicles that have been created through very complex chemistry that can be driven and turned and they've even developed some tools where these can be converted into dump trucks and they can carry another atom or a molecule somewhere or like a front loader they can lift something up and they've actually done this and this guy was explaining it and a lot of the words I understood, the normal English words, but he used very specific technical scientific words that I sort of did what Linus and Peanuts said to do, you know, you see something you go blah blah blah. <laughs> and so I heard some words without fully understanding them, but it was still fascinating. And he was making presentations, I, I, I watched, listened to several of them. Some were to colleagues, people who are uh, in his same field and are professional and understand everything that he's talking about. Some were to students, some were to the general public. But I, I was listening to these and watching them and I was curious because this is a Jewish guy who's operating at the highest level of science and has discovered things and implemented things that are unthinkable in their complexity and in their sophistication. And he's also a believer in the Messiah. And he is also, <clears throat> he believes in the veracity of the scriptures, both uh, the Tanakh and the writings of the apostles. And he believes in the truthfulness of the resurrection of Yeshua. So he's no slouch. He, he's one of the, the great scientists of the world today. And a fascinating guy. And he likes to tell people about the science and the technology he's involved in and how that connects to his faith and to his Jewish upbringing. And he connects it all. It's so fascinating. One day maybe I'll put together a few clips and we'll use them in, uh, in a message and you can look at and hear some of the words he uses and go blah, blah, blah too. Uh, <laughs> but some of the stuff he's explained is just so absolutely fascinating and interesting. Well, he gave a lecture on nanotechnology, and during that lecture he was inviting people to come to a subsequent talk where he would share about his life of faith in the Messiah and how this fits into his career as a scientist. So, he, he, very interesting guy. He's not what you would consider a minister. He's not a theologian. He's not a philosopher. And he uh, often will start by saying, I'm none of those things, and I don't even know how to talk the way they talk. I don't know their vocabulary, and I don't know their way of communicating. And so, if you ask me a question that's like a theological question, like a seminary person would ask, I don't know how to answer I can tell you what I do know. So he, he's really interesting, a, a great man of science and a man of faith, and he works on the nano level, which in previous ages was invisible. And this is like the connection. I'm gonna connect 
um, this idea of nanotechnology with what we read from Moses about seeing and hearing. Honestly, I don't know very much about nanotechnology. And if that doesn't become clear, uh, it, it should become really clear. In, in fact, Sandy asked me, well, what is nano? You know, like, I said, well, it's small. She said, no, no, I mean, you know, give me some explanation. So I, I looked up on a government website called nano.gov um, that tries to explain how small nanotechnology is. And so I'll give some examples, and then hopefully it won't help at all like it didn't help. <laughs> and we'll find some other things. So uh, a nanometer is a billionth of a meter, or 10 to the minus 9 power of a meter. And here are some examples. I'm just reading to you from what I copied. There are 25,400 nanometers to one inch. That's small. A sheet of newspaper is about 100,000 nanometers thick. And guys who are working in nanoscience are working at the level of one to 100 nanometers. That level of precision. So it's at the level of atoms and molecules, no bigger than that. In fact, I saw a video this morning, I was just looking at it again, in, in which James Tour was showing uh, this nano car, which is uh, this tiny as tiny can be vehicle that's driving on a sheet of um, like perfectly flat substrate of some sort, except it has some one atom bumps. And he shows how this nanocar can navigate to the bump and then move over the bump and keep going. And then he shows two nanocars that crash. And he said, this is the first nanocar collision that's ever been recorded in history. <laughs> but it's, it's that small. And he said today that these, uh, these nanocars are so small that 30,000 of them would fit on a hair, on the width of a hair. That's how small they are. And that's the level that they're working in. 30,000 equals one hair. So would you agree that's small? Yeah. So here's what's interesting. The, the ideas and the concepts behind nanoscience and nanotechnology started with a talk entitled, There's Plenty of Room at the Bottom, by a physicist, Richard Feynman. I don't know, sounds Jewish to me. <laughs> at an American Physical Society meeting at Caltech on December 29th, 1959. And in his talk, Feynman described a process in which scientists would be able to manipulate and control individual atoms and molecules. So this guy Feynman has this idea, we're going to be able to work at the atomic level and to manipulate atoms and molecules at that level. Now there's only one problem. 
no one could see anything that small. All of the microscopes that existed at that point were not capable of perceiving anything at the atomic level or even the molecular level. And so he was presenting this idea that one day we will be able to see these things and then be able to work on them. And of course, some people thought that's ridiculous. But over a decade later, in his explorations of ultra-precision machining, Professor Norio Taniguchi coined the term nanotechnology. He said, so this is what we're gonna call it. But it wasn't until 1981, with the development of the scanning tunneling microscope that could see individual atoms that modern nanotechnology began. So now, there's scanning, tunneling microscope, and the atomic force microscope, and the age of nanotechnology has been born. So now some, how many years later, from 59 until now? You do the math. Just about 50 years, right? Just about 50 years, 60 years later, it's now possible to make great advances in nanoscience, nanotechnology, etc. And he describes in some of his lectures what the future holds about how we'll be able to build and construct differently than we can right now. I won't get into all of that uh, by any means. My, my point of connection was twofold. One of them was this. Someone had this idea we could learn to see what's invisible. We could learn to see what's invisible to everyone. And when we get to that point, we can start working at the level. We can understand forces and principles. We can experiment. We can learn to do things. And it could lead us somewhere. Well, some people thought, that's ridiculous. You know, you are just a dreamer. You can understand that. And some people would say, well, what's the point? And when people were thinking about this, they didn't know what the point was. But they knew it's worth learning to do this. But imagine this. Imagine if all those scientists who had this idea were put off by the fear of rejection or the fear that they would never on their own be able to do everything that was necessary. It turns out that it took many people working in many different ways, each doing a little piece, building upon what one learned, and then another learned, and then so forth. It took all these people over these decades to get to the point where nanotechnology is now a reasonable thing to work on. Professor Tor was talking about one of their inventions. They've developed a one-step process using chemistry and nanotechnology to remove radioactivity from water at a very efficient level, and they're about to implement it in Japan, which has a great need for this. And so he said, do you think this has a purpose? Yes. Think about how the world would be hurt if people 
did not take the risk to move forward in their ability to perceive and to understand, to see, to hear, to connect, to make sense out of things. In the same way, Moses is saying to Israel, you need to be able to see. You need to be able to hear. You need to be able to understand in order to function in this world that God has put you in and to do your part, everyone doing a little piece in their realm so that all of us together can help move things in the direction that God wants to go. It's not enough to have the innate capability. It has to be developed. It has to be nurtured. It has to be grown up. Now, going back to Moses in chapter 11 and what the Lord is saying to Israel, embedded in this idea, see and listen, is this notion that everyone has the capability. Everyone is born with a capability to see and to hear things from the Lord, to be perceptive and to take those things to heart, to be aware and to use their capabilities for a purpose. Everyone has that capability. It has to be developed. It has to be nurtured. But when we read in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy about this idea, see and listen, it's important for us to pay very close attention to the sense of normalcy connected with this. In other words, it would be normal for everyone to be able to see and to hear in a spiritual way. That would be normal. That's what Moses is saying. Because how could we be held accountable if it's not normal? Moses has a desire which he expresses, and that is that all of Israel would be filled with the Spirit of God. That all of Israel would function in the anointing of God. But the prophets of Israel, the prophets of Israel regularly are saying to, to the Jewish people, you have a capability, but it's not developed. It needs to be nurtured. You can't function in life. You can't deal with your situations. You, you, can't, you can't develop your relationships, your families, your careers, your education. You, you can't form your social networks. You can't, you can't learn how to serve even. You can't form laws and regulations and government and nations and societies if you don't have clear perception of what is pleasing to God and what is good to God. Now the Haftor portion goes on in this direction, Isaiah chapter 66. Starts in verse 1. Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. And then the Lord asks this question. So what kind of house can you build for me? What sort of place could you figure out and devise where I could rest? You see, the Lord is saying, I already made a lazy boy. <laughs> Heaven and earth together, I'm propping my feet up 
on the earth. It's a footstool for me. That's the picture. Verse two, didn't I myself make all these things? This is how they all came to be. These things didn't just materialize out of nothingness. They came into existence because God created them. In verse 4, it continues, and it makes this radical statement so, so striking in its form, because when we think about crying out, we often think at the human level, crying out to God. We cry to God, and we hope he answers us. But it's turned completely around. Here, Isaiah 66, verse 4, the Lord says, when I called, when I cried out, no one answered me. When I spoke, they didn't hear. Instead, they did what was evil as I saw it. And they chose to do what wasn't good that in no way could please me. This directly connects to the Torah portion. You can see how the theme is connected and why this was relevant. Because the Lord is saying, don't you understand, I, I wanted you to hear me. I wanted you to learn to perceive what I'm doing and what I'm focusing on, to give adequate attention to it, to really use your capabilities, to develop them, and to use all that you have so that you can better understand and then take to heart the things that are good in my sight, the things that are important to me, and you could act on them, because in this way you can make the world a different place with me. But I called and no one would answer. And I was speaking and no one listened to me. And people just did what they wanted to do. This is a prophetic concern that's expressed over and over again. Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 21 says, hear this now. You naive people without understanding who have eyes but don't see and have ears but don't hear. You see, there's this idea, the prophet's talking about it, it's not that you, you do have eyes but you can't physically see. It's not that. It's you have, you have eyes but you can't spiritually see. And you have ears but you can't spiritually hear. And this is what the problem is. Israel is, is being told, you need to develop those faculties. It's perfectly normal to have those capabilities, and you need to be normal. Now, I can tell you, being normal became one of my deep concerns after surgery. You know, there's a certain point where what you really hope for is that you could get back to normal. And, I mean, I've never really been normal. <laughs> so maybe it's not getting back to normal, but at least getting back to the condition I was in before. And when you're sick or you're injured or you've had surgery, this is the, the real desire of the heart. I want to get back 
to normalcy. Isn't that right? Just to be normal again. It would be enough. And you can relate to this. I think anybody can relate to this. You don't have to have been sick or had an injury, but parents especially, when you get the news, you know, you're going to have a baby. And there's this baby growing inside. And what's the, the real hope of the parents in the prayer? It's, oh, let her be normal. You know, just let her be healthy and normal. And then as soon as she's born, she needs to be a doctor, a lawyer. <laughs> you know, he needs to be a dentist or an accountant. And parents switch. As soon as the child's born and it seems normal, it's like, they need to be exceptional. <laughs> and you've seen this with parents, you know, their child goes, gah, gah. and they go, oh, he's so smart. You know, he's talking already. And when they get up and they're sort of walking, sort of walking, you know, because you know what they do, and they fall down, it's like, oh, they're so well developed. <laughs> Look at that, they're walking. Every little thing that a normal child does becomes amazing. And we begin to imagine how exceptional this child is going to be. And then when they hit their teen years, we start just praying again, oh, please, let them be normal. <laughs> if only they were normal again. In a way, in the Torah portion, the Lord is trying to communicate something to all of us. I, I want you to be normal. I want you to understand what normal is. I want you to be able to see and perceive and to hear and to understand and to take to heart and to act on things that are invisible to other people. And you may be one of those people who say, well, that sounds like mysticism or it sounds like, you know, something kind of goofy. Or you may be afraid, well, what will other people say? But for a moment, imagine that you're a scientist who has that attitude. If only we could work at the atomic level. Yeah, but we can't see atoms. And what will people say if I want to make my career out of this? And they say, are you kidding? Show me an atom. It's like, oh, I can't show you an atom. How do you even know they exist? It's just a theory. Imagine if you were just afraid of how people would react to you if you wanted to develop something that hadn't been developed in them. And think about this. If all the scientists had that attitude and withdrew, how it would impair the development of our societies. Think about that. Now, think about this. What if, in the same way, the world is impaired because people have not developed their spiritual capabilities? That's the message here, that that is the case. You see, the purpose of God in calling Israel was to create a new normal, to create in the Jewish people a first nation 
where everyone would be able to perceive the will of God and take it to heart. That was God's plan. And we've fallen short. The prophets continually say this. And Yeshua speaks about this in the clearest of terms in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 15. And he says, this people's heart has grown callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and, take note of this, understand with their hearts. And then they would change direction and turn to me, and I would heal them. And then Yeshua says, blessed are your eyes because they do see. And your ears, because they do hear. Because I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see right now, but they didn't see it. And they wanted to hear what you're hearing, but they didn't hear it. And you're blessed because you're seeing and you're hearing. When Yeshua came, he not only accomplished the work of atonement by dying as a sacrifice for our sins and making a way for us to be reconciled to God, he did something else that was beyond the expectation even of his closest disciples. He told them before it happened, he said, I've got to leave you now, I've got to return to heaven because if I don't, I can't do the next thing, which is send the Holy Spirit to all of you. You see, the prophet Joel had spoken of, of this in saying that the Lord would send the Holy Spirit on all flesh and blood, on the young ones, the old ones, the men, the women, the people who, who were free citizens and had legal rights and those that had none and were enslaved. And the idea was this, that God will send his Holy Spirit upon those who are looking to Messiah. And then they will bring this good news to the rest of the Jewish world. That's what Yeshua said. When this happens in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, you'll go out and you'll have good news for everyone that the Holy Spirit has now been given so that all of us can see and hear. Because this is what Yeshua has accomplished. And then from there, you'll go out to all the nations of the world. This is what it means to be light to the nations. And you'll bring this good news so that Israel becomes the first nation and the firstborn son, if you will, of many who will come. And that first generation of disciples of Yeshua grasped this, and they went out as Jewish believers to them, to their own people, and then to the nations of the world with the good news. And they brought the good news of Yeshua. They brought the word of God, the scriptures. They brought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with them, with this idea that everyone would learn to see and hear, that everyone who turned from their sin and turned to God, who learned to turn their attention and give consideration to what God was saying, that every one of those people 
would be able to repent and turn to God and make a new life and be healed, as the prophets had promised. This is the call of the Messianic movement. It's, it, it's not just to go through the motions or to, to reduce Jewishness to culinary Judaism. Who's got the best corned beef? <laughs> Who's got the best matzo balls? Who's got the best hummus? It's not costume jewelry. Who's got the biggest talit? It's not that. It's to turn our attention to God, to hear him so that we can be informed and we can change ourselves through the outpouring of God because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it with what had been given earlier that was preparatory for this. We had to keep going in the same way that nanotechnology could build on the idea of a microscope but couldn't just use old microscopes. The Jewish word of God and the Jewish way of life had to build upon all that had been attained and go further and that took the coming of Messiah. The death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. The return of Yeshua to heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The formation of new communities. It took all of that, and it takes all of that. That's our mandate. And imagine if we put off the fear or the uncertainty, and we understand this, every one of us has a little piece to add to our families, to our careers, to our societies. Every one of us is dependent on the others but can make a contribution that's worthy ourselves. And together, little by little, we can make a difference and change, not just ourselves, but have an impact that God has been working on for all these centuries. That's what we want to get hold of us. And when we let that get hold of us, you know what? We will develop in ways that are just as amazing as nanotechnology and nanoscience and can hardly be grasped right now. But they're out there. Well, that's what I was mulling over while I couldn't see very well. And I was in bed, and I want to encourage you. Remember the great command of the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's right. This faith that we're called to, is a heart-centered faith. But it's not just that. It requires the use of our minds, of our intelligence, of our will, and of our working together, thus love your neighbors yourself, so that we can cooperate and collaborate and together make a difference. Well, if you think about everything I said about nanotechnology, you'll understand that guy doesn't know much. But it's a tiny subject. <laughs> well, let's pray. <laughs> We're out of time and I'm out of stuff to say. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that 
you're the God of heaven and earth and you created us for this world and for the world to come. Thank you for redeeming us through Yeshua. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit. Thank you for calling us to join ourselves to the great mandate of the Jewish people from the time of Abraham until the end of days. And let it be, Lord, that we who walk with you and trust in you, who are named by the name above all names, would take to heart all that you want from us and that we would learn to see and we would learn to hear in the Spirit. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? You want to stand in the rain? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Oh, thank you for coming.